Welcome to the Riverside Church Podcast. We hope today's message encourages you and strengthens your walk with God. Enjoy the message. With that being said, we're going to go ahead and get right into Scripture. So if you do not mind, can you stand to your feet this Sunday morning? And we're going to be looking at two portions of Scripture. We're going to be taking a look at Leviticus chapter 23, verse 10 through 11. And then we're also going to read John chapter 20, verse 15 through 18. So we have Old Testament scripture and New Testament scripture. And we're going to read from Leviticus chapter 23 first. Anybody excited for the word of God? I'm excited for the word of God. God has spoken to me and I'm excited to deliver it. If you're reading from the New King James or maybe other translations, you'll notice that the heading for this paragraph in Leviticus chapter 23 says, The Feast of First Fruits. Because it's in this chapter, Leviticus chapter 23, and this is going to be one of those messages, y'all, that you're going to want to pay close attention, maybe even take some notes. We're going to go a little bit more in depth, but I'm excited about it. But in Leviticus chapter 23, this is the chapter where God commands his people to appoint specific days to commemorate or celebrate certain feasts, or you can call them festivals, as they get ready to go into the promised land because God didn't want them to forget how good he's been to them and what he brought them out of when it came to Egypt and also just have them uh, have gratitude in their hearts as they go into the promised land. So God established these seven feasts. These were holy days. Somebody say holy days for the Jews. Uh, They were holy days. See, we have holidays. The Jews had holy days, right? They had holy days for them. And right now, we're going to read a verse that focuses on the Feast of First Fruits. And in this chapter, you'll see other feasts like the Feast of Passover, the Feast of Pentecost. But I want us to focus on the Feast of First Fruits. Let's go ahead and read it. It says this, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, When you come into the land which I give to you and reap its harvest, then you shall bring a sheaf of the first fruits. Somebody say first fruits of your harvest to the priest. He shall wave the sheath before the Lord to be accepted on your behalf. On the day after the Sabbath, the priest shall wave it. So during this time, the priest would go out. They would usually bring him something. Either way, he would get the first fruits, and he would present a wave offering to God in the temple. Now I want us to read John chapter 20, verse 15 through 18. And these two verses may not sound like they are related or connected, but I promise you they are. And this is the scripture where Mary Magdalene, there we go, it's raining. Mary Magdalene, she's the first person that, she, that sees the resurrected earthly body of Jesus. Mary Mag- Magdalene, after the third day, goes to the tomb, and to her surprise, Jesus isn't there. Because he's, how many people know, he raised from the dead. He resurrected just like he said he would after the third day. So she gets worried, she gets concerned, and Jesus is actually, he was buried in a tomb that was in a garden. So she is crying and weeping in this garden, and then she sees she's Jesus. Uh, see, she sees Jesus, and this is what happens. You ready? It says this. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? She, supposing him to be the gardener, said to him, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him, Rabbi, which is to say teacher. Jesus said to her, do not cling to me. Other translations say, Do not touch me, for I have not yet ascended to my father. But go to my brethren and say to them, I am ascending to my father and your father and to my God and to your God. Mary Magdalene came and told the disciples that she had seen the Lord and that he had spoken these things to her. Two titles for you to choose from this morning. If you want to write this down or just remember it, retain it. 
this first title is more fancy and more formal. It's the Feast of First Fruits. But maybe you like your titles a little bit more edgy, a little bit more funky. You can write this down. You can't touch this. Anybody remember that song? Can't touch this. Okay, let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this morning. Thank you for bringing us together this Sunday morning. Speak through your word. We have our hearts open and ready to receive. This is all about you, Jesus. We love you so much. In Jesus' name. And everybody said? Turn to your neighbor and say, you can't touch this. You can be seated. Thank you for standing. You know, I think it's pretty cool how today um, our young adults are having an end of fast feast where they're going to be consuming. Come on, y'all. That's exciting for our young adults. They're going to be consuming all different types of junk food, uh, you know, as they celebrate the end of their fast. Um, I heard they're going to be having, you know, some pizza, fried chicken, cookies, candy. I'll stop right there. A whole bunch as they get ready to you know, celebrate the end of their fast. I also heard Pastor Bob, he's going to be there with the griddle and a skillet with the Tokyo uh, Grill chef's hat to cook for everybody there. If anybody wants to come, just kidding. He's like, no, no, I'm not going to be there. But um, I don't know how healthy that is for you guys. You're going from a fast to a full-on feast, so let's be sure that we pray for their digestive system sometime today and everything they're going to be consuming uh, but, you know, it's very interesting, speaking of feasts, it's very interesting to study the different, the different feasts found throughout Scripture and how they correlate to the life of Jesus and the kingdom of heaven. In fact, at one point in Jesus' ministry, he likened the kingdom of heaven to a wedding feast by a parable. We find this in Matthew chapter 22, where he likened the kingdom of heaven to a wedding feast. Now, wedding feasts in biblical times were known for their food, food, their fun, their celebrating, and just having a good time dancing, just like weddings are today with reception and everything. But except weddings in biblical times would typically last, get this, five to seven days. Five to seven days, a big celebration. Uh, and usually the whole village would be invited as well. So it was a big party. They had to make sure that they had plenty of supplies. That's why Jesus' first miracle took place at a wedding feast where Mary kept on coming to him and asking him, hey, do something about this. And that's where Jesus turned water into wine to continue the feast, to continue the celebration for this wedding feast. Even in the book of Revelation, in chapter 19 and chapter 20, we find the book of Revelation ending by describing a wedding feast in heaven between Jesus and his bride. And in scripture, you'll notice how the church is often called the bride of Christ. In other words, these wedding feasts were a depiction of what heaven will look like one day. Heaven will be a place where Jesus and his bride, which is you, which is me, which is the church, will be united with him forever, together in eternity. Heaven is not going to be, not, heaven is not going to be boring or mundane because your God is not boring and mundane. Heaven is going to be celebratory. Heaven is going to be exciting. It's going to, I wish somebody got excited about this. Heaven is going to be exciting. It's going to be a party without end. No more tears, no more sorrow, no more pain, no more suffering, no more disease no more death, only Jesus celebrating with him, honoring him, worshiping him. Oh, come on, somebody. I just came to tell somebody that this earth, you need to be reminded right now, don't get too comfortable here on this earth because this earth is not your home. This place is temporary. The scripture says that we are just pilgrims passing through this world, but that heaven is our home. In other words, I came to tell somebody that God has a celebration. He has a feast prepared for you in heaven. Anybody thankful for the gift of heaven? 
Man, I feel like I'm rapping right now. Just call me shady. Just kidding. That was so corny. Don't say that. Okay. Um, but we know that, and we see that as far as the depiction of heaven, because Jesus likened heaven to a wedding feast, right? So the wedding feasts that are described in Scripture deal with the future, but I want you to understand that the Feast of First Fruits that we find in Leviticus chapter 23 deals with what Jesus has fulfilled. Now, I understand some of you are like, okay, Caleb, why are we talking about the feast, the Feast of First Fruits, these seven different feasts that are found throughout Scripture? We can talk about something more interesting, you know, than this. Why are we talking about this? Here's why. Because many things that we find in the New Testament and Jesus' ministry in particular will not make sense without an understanding of the Old Testament feast. It won't make sense. See, each of the feasts that we find in Leviticus chapter 23, all seven of them, including the Feast of First Fruits, they carry tremendous prophetic symbolism. And in those feasts in Leviticus chapter 23, from the beginning, we can even see the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. In other words, the Old Testament feasts were foreshadowing what was going to happen in the New Testament. I've heard somebody say it like this. The Old Testament is the New Testament concealed, but the New Testament is the Old Testament revealed, right? And the Apostle Paul talks about this in Colossians chapter 5, verse 7 through 8. Check it out. It says this, Colossians chapter 5. You guys got it on the screen? There we go. It says this, Colossians chapter 2, verse 16 through 17. It says this, so let no one judge you in food or in drink or regarding a festival or a new moon, new moon or Sabbath. That word festival was another word for feast, which, which are a shadow. Somebody say shadow, shadow of things to come. But the substance, somebody say substance of Christ. And the Apostle Paul wrote this letter because you want to know, know what happened? False teachers during this time were telling the early church that in order for them to be saved, in order for them to receive salvation, that they had to participate and observe those Jewish feasts listed in Scripture and follow the rules, regulation, and rituals that they had. But the Apostle Paul was telling them, no, 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 you need to understand that those feasts and everything that we see right there in the Old Testament was a foreshadowing of what Jesus would accomplish on your behalf. Right. It was a foreshadowing. Anybody follow me this morning? It was a foreshadowing of what was to come. Now, I wish I had time just to go over each feast with you guys this morning, but what I want us to do, and I'm so excited to share this with you guys, we're going to go over three of the fasts, two of them leading up to the first fruits, the three feasts that we find first in the book of Leviticus chapter 23, the three feasts that would happen uh, during the year before all the other feasts, and it's amazing if we study and break it down a little bit, and interestingly enough, these three feasts happened during the week that Jesus died, he was buried, and resurrected. It's interesting. So check it out. Let's talk about these different feasts that we find in Scripture, okay? Let's talk about the Feast of Passover. Get this. The Feast of Passover was the time where the Jews would reflect back on the night in Egypt where God sent the angel of death to kill all the firstborn Egyptians in Egypt in order for, you know, Pastor Bobby talked about it, in order for God to get his firstborn out of Egypt and deliver his people. And the way that the angel of death was able to distinguish an Egyptian home and a Jewish home was by the blood of the lamb that was smeared on the doorpost, right? And whenever the angel of the Lord saw the blood of the lamb smeared on the doorpost, he would then pass over. That's where we get that word. He would then pass over that house and go to the next house. 
So during the Feast of Passover, this was the time where people would come from all over of the Jewish faith. They would come into Jerusalem. They would go to the temple, and they would even offer a sacrifice of an animal unto God in order to cover their sins. We see this whenever Jesus is 12 years old. His parents go with him, and they go to Jerusalem for the Feast of Passover. So it's interesting that Jesus, because it's no coincidence that Jesus was actually crucified. His blood was shed during the Passover feast because the scripture says that he is the true Passover lamb. See, the scripture even says whenever John the Baptist saw Jesus, he said, behold, the lamb of God who has come to take away the sins of the world. And just like the angel of death, just like death had no power over the homes that had the blood of the lamb smeared on their doorpost. Let me tell you, the death has no power over you if you're covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. We don't have to be afraid of death, dying anymore. Why? Because Jesus is the Passover lamb. He fulfilled the, piece of the, the feast of Passover. You follow me this morning? Get this. We're going a little deeper. The feast of unleavened bread. During this time, what the Jews would do, they would remember the time in Egypt where they left Egypt in such a hurry. Because you'll find out, you know, Pharaoh was fed up with the frogs, with the diseases, with all the plagues, right? All ten plagues. He's like, Moses, get out of here, man. Take your whole family. Take your cousins. Get, every, out, get out of here. I'll let your people go, man. Just shut up and get out. So, Moses and all the people that hear this, they just run out of there, right? They, they get their things. They're really quick. In fact, they ransacked the city where they took so much gold and stuff with them. There was a transfer of wealth that actually took place. That's how they were able to build the tabernacle. In fact, people brought so much gold to the tabernacle whenever God, whenever Moses called for it, that he had to tell them to stop. But the one thing that they forgot in Egypt that they didn't have time to get for whatever reason, uh, you'll find out, is leaven. Somebody say leaven. leaven. Or you can call it yeast. And leaven is made to be put into the grain, to put into the flour, to, put, to be put into bread. And what that would cause the bread to do is to, it would cause it to expand and be puffed up and rise. And a little bit of leaven would affect the whole loaf of bread. It would cause it to rise. So when they left Egypt with unleavened bread, in other words, they left with flat bread and that's what they had to eat. And during the Feast of Unleavened Bread, what the Jews had to do, what they did during that whole time, was that they would eat flat bread like their ancestors did. And if you study it, multiple times in Scripture, leaven is a picture of sin and wickedness. And I believe that sin has the same effect in our lives many times. Sin can make us get puffed up and proud. And a little bit of sin, sometimes we say, just a little bit. I'm just going to go a little bit further. But many times it affects a lot of different areas in our life. God forgives sin all the same way, but sin carries different consequences. So sin is like, and we see this as well in Scripture. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7 through 8, the Apostle Paul says it like this. Therefore, purge out the old leaven, that you may be a new lump, since you are truly unleavened. For indeed Christ, somebody say Christ, Christ. our Passover. So there we go. We see the Passover again was sacrificed for us. Therefore, let us keep the feast. Somebody say feast. Not with the old leaven, nor, nor get this, nor with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. So unleavened bread was symbolic of being without sin. It was bread that was pressed down, weighed down, and low. And I want you to get this. Jesus, we know he was without sin. He was the perfect 
sacrifice, right? And he's also known in Scripture as the bread of life. And at one point in Jesus' ministry, he said, truly, truly, I tell you, unless a grain or when a grain of wheat, which is the basis and ingredients for bread, the foundation, unless it goes within the ground, it's buried and dies, it will produce much grain. So it's no coincidence that Jesus was buried at the start of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, because just like Unleavened Bread, it was a picture of Jesus being without sin. And just like Unleavened Bread is pressed down and low, I need you to understand that Jesus was pressed down and low and buried. The scripture says that he was in the depths of hell and the depths of Hades. So it's no coincidence. So the Feast of Unleavened Bread was a picture of the burial of Christ. We see the crucifixion. That's a picture of the Passover. Jesus' blood, blood was shed. Then we see the Feast of Unleavened Bread, burial. So we have this last feast right here. We see death, we see burial, but burial, and you probably guess what the next one is, the Feast of First Fruits. Now get this. For the Jews during this time, the Feast of First Fruits was the time where they would go out into the fields. We read this in Leviticus chapter 23. They would go and gather the first fruits of the harvest of the crop, which would usually be or always be barley because that was the first uh, fruit that would, uh, the first harvest that would mature and grow, they would take it to the high priest. Listen, because this is going to tie everything together. They would take it to the high priest, and in turn, the high priest would go into the temple, and he would wave it before God. And as he waved the sheaves, as he waved the barley, the first fruits, to God, that meant that the rest of the harvest would be redeemed and it would be blessed. Now listen to what I'm fixing to say because this is going to tie everything that we just went over together. It's not just useless information because it's beautiful. One of the requirements for the priest, the high priest, because that's, that's who would go into and, and wave the offering before God, the first fruits. One of the requirements was that the priest, right after Passover, the high priest would go into hiding for three days until the feast of first fruits. Then on the morning of the Feast of First Fruit, he would present a wave offering unto God of the first fruits that would be brought to them. And during this whole time and during this whole process, guess what? He couldn't be touched. Otherwise, he would become ceremonially unclean. And it was only after that he presented the first fruits offering and waved it before God that he was able to leave the temple to be embraced by the people, be touched by the people, and celebrate them, celebrate with them for the Feast of First Fruits. Now show the next picture. You follow me so far? So the Feast of Passover, it's interesting. Think about it. During the Feast of Passover, we see Jesus being crucified and put to death, representing the death of Jesus, the shedding of blood. During the Feast of Unleavened Bread, Jesus is buried. That's what it represents, the burial of Christ. And during that time, guess what? We know he's in hiding for three days. Then on the morning, the morning of first fruits, Jesus is resurrected and raised to life. And the scripture says, the Apostle Paul said it like this in 1 Corinthians, he calls Jesus the first fruits. So he is raised, but guess, guess what? Jesus wasn't even done yet after he was raised from the dead because he still had responsibilities because the book of Hebrews calls him our high priest. And the high priest had to show the first fruits to God during the feast of first fruits. So whenever Jesus is in the garden and Mary Magdalene sees him and she tries to go towards him, Jesus says, don't touch me. Somebody say, don't touch this. 
don't touch me. Why? Because I haven't yet ascended to the Father. I have to go to the Father. Tell my people. And it's interesting because a couple chapters later, guess what? We find Jesus inviting Timothy to touch the hole in his side because he was doubting the resurrection of Jesus. So in one chapter, we see Jesus saying, don't touch me. And the next, in, the, in the following chapters, we see Jesus say, hey, touch me. What, what happened? What's the difference? Because by that time, in that in-between stage, Jesus had already went to the Father. He was the high priest, and he presented himself as the first fruit, fulfilling every law, filling every requirement, fulfilling everything necessary for you to be saved redeemed. He didn't come to abolish the law. The scripture says that he came to fulfill the law. Come on, I wish we had some people in here that knew they were saved. Every day was specific. It worked so succinctly. It was no accident that Jesus was buried during the Feast of Unleavened Bread. He was put to death during the Passover, and he was raised to life during the Feast of First Fruits. Oh my gosh. Isn't scripture beautiful? Isn't it exciting when you look at it like this? Death, burial, resurrection. The first point I want you to get this morning is this, because we're going somewhere, that Jesus is the first fruits of the harvest. We need to understand this. It talks about it in Scripture. He's the first fruits of the harvest. Now, this is what's interesting. As I was studying the Scripture, and I could not get past the first crop that would mature and grow would be, we said it earlier, the barley crop. And the priest would take the barley, the sheaves, and wave it before God. And here's what barley was known for. Barley was known for being able to be grown in the harshest of conditions. Nothing could stop it from growing. See, devil thought he could stop Jesus. He thought he was putting a stop to God's plan, but he couldn't stop Jesus because Jesus is unstoppable. In order to process, in order to process and harvest the barley, it had to have been whipped and beat. So Jesus, he was willing to go through the crucifixion, through the beating, through the scourging, through, through the whipping, being hung up on the cross because he had it in his mind. No, I'm the first fruits. I got to go through all this. I need to save some people. There's some people right now that are living in the year 2021 that need to hear about the gospel. There's some people ahead of me. Come on, can we go ahead and give God praise and thank him that he wasn't shy to go through the process as our first fruits. And remember, remember, whenever the first fruits were presented and brought to God, that meant that the rest of the harvest would be blessed. It would be redeemed. And the same is true for Jesus. Think about it like this. Jesus, if he's the first fruits, that means the rest of the harvest following after him, the fruit following after him would be redeemed. Question, who's the harvest? Point at yourself. Point to the neighbor next to you. Unless, you know, they're not saved, which we're going to get them saved today. They're going to be part of the harvest. It's us. It's a simple it's a simple answer, really. We're part of the harvest. We're part of what Jesus has done. You are the product of the harvest of the fruit of what Jesus has, Jesus Christ has done on the cross over 2,000 years ago. You have been saved and redeemed because of what Jesus Christ has done as your first fruit. Come on, can we go ahead and give God praise? I want that to sit and soak for a second. Since you are the harvest, and since you are the fruit, 
of what Jesus Christ has done. I want you to think about this real quick. Oh, man, thank you, Jesus. No, no wonder whenever Jesus looked around the crowds of people as he was ministering, he called them a harvest. He looked around them as he was ministering. We find this in John chapter 4, verse 35, when Jesus is with his disciples, and there's a multitude of people that came after him because they heard about Jesus ministering and prophesying to the woman at the well. They came to him, and Jesus said this. Check it out. It says this in John chapter 4, verse 35. He says, you know the saying, four months between planting and harvest, but I say wake up. Somebody say wake up. And look around. The fields are already ripe for harvest. He's talking about the people that are there. Now, you may be asking yourself, Caleb, what do you, like, how does this all tie in to the first fruits offering? How does this tie in uh, until today? And I want to share it with you just like God spoke it and revealed it to me, okay, y'all? Think of it like this as I was praying. This is how it ties into the offering. If you want to continue or cultivate a harvest, the first thing that must be done is that the seeds from the fruit that have already been grown from the harvest have to be sown into the ground. For example, hand me that apple real quick. Thank you. This apple, if I wanted to produce more apples, let's say I do not live less than a mile away from HB Plus and I'm out in the middle of nowhere and I need more apples and only have this one apple. If I want to produce more apples, what do I have to do? You take the seeds from this apple and plant it into the ground in order to produce more apples. And they have a saying, and follow along, I know it's a simple analogy, but they say that you can easily count the number of seeds in an apple, but they say, which is the average is about eight, but they say that it's impossible to count the amount of apples within a seed. This one apple has the potential to produce so many fruit after it. This one apple has the capability to produce such a great harvest of fruit. Trees and trees of apple, baskets of apples, but it's all hinged on and determined on if the seed is sown correctly. And we are the fruit of what Jesus Christ has done. He's the first fruit. We're the harvest. So in order for us to see that harvest continue and be fulfilled until Jesus comes back, what do we have to do? If you're the fruit, we take seed, we sow it into the ground. My second point this morning is this. Seeds precede the harvest. I need a drink of water. Here, go ahead and take this. Thank you, bro. Somebody say seeds precede the harvest. Now, if you think that by sowing seeds and seeds, I'm only talking about giving your all. Because I want you to realize something. Every time that you share the gospel with someone, what you're doing is you are sowing seeds in their life. Seeds of salvation. And many people are frustrated and are being driven crazy because they think it's their job to see a salvation in somebody's life. My family member, my brother, my sister, my, my, my friend, my coworker, I, work, I just need to see them saved. I need to see them saved. Whenever it was never your job to see it, it was always your job to seed it. And sometimes, like the parable that Jesus told, sometimes that seed falls on hard ground. Sometimes that seed falls on ground where the, where the ravens come and devour it. Sometimes that seed falls on ground where the thorns and thistles choke it out. But sometimes it falls on good ground. Come on, have you ever sowed seed on good ground? 
and it will grow and it will produce. See, this is what I like to say. It's my job to sow it, but it's God's job to grow it. That's our responsibility. Do we have any sowers in the building? Come on. Also in Scripture, you'll see that sowing seeds also represent in Scripture giving to the local church in order to see more souls saved. If you want to know, we have no hidden agenda. We have no other motive here at Riverside Church other than to lift up the name of Jesus, build and grow disciples, and see the lost come to Jesus and find home. Find him and take as many people with us to heaven. That's our purpose. That's our main. Our, our purpose is to know Jesus and make him known. That's it. Don't complicate it. We find the Apostle Paul encouraging the early church to do this in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 10. He says this. Now, may he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food supply and multiply the seed you have sown and increase the fruits of your harvest. If you do a study what the scripture is talking about, the apostle Paul, he's encouraging the church to give willingly and cheerfully a portion of what God has blessed them with so that way they can reach more people and build the church. Much similarly to what we're fixing to do today. Let me remind you, God is the one who gives us the seed. The seed that you carry, financial blessings in your life, what's in your bank account, the scripture makes it clear that God, that Jesus, everything was created you know, for Jesus and the fullness thereof, right? God is the owner. He's in ownership, but we are in stewardship. And we're going to sow. We're going to be good stewards. We're going to put God first. Why? Because we want to see a harvest take place. See, some of you thought that you were sowing seeds today with your first fruits offering into a building initiative. But what you're really sowing into is a harvest of souls. And that's what we're doing today. Haley, you can go ahead and come up. I apologize. Maybe I went too hard during, my, during the first service. My voice is going out, so I'm slowing down and everything. Anybody getting this this morning? We are the fruits, we carry the seed, we sow, we reap. That's what it's all about. I want to leave you guys with one closing thought as we get ready to sow this morning. You know, I was kind of thinking too. Oh, thank you, bro. I was kind of thinking this morning. I feel like it's going to mess it up as I speak like what this meant. I was thinking this morning and today I was like, you know what, how, like, if a farmer wanted to produce a harvest, and he had the land, he had the soil tilled, the climate and conditions and everything were great, everything was ready to go, but yet he refused and he just didn't sow the seed. How would that make him look? Well, it'd be kind of silly, right? Think about it like this. God has blessed us tremendously. You don't have to look long at this church to see that God's hand is on this church. I can go around this room right now, go over every single person and just say, hey, you've grown in this area. God's done this in your life. We can hear story after story. I can tell you stories. We can sit down at the coffee table and I can tell you about times where God made a way where there seems to be no way, where God gave us prophetic words and a couple of years later, God fulfilled every word to the detail and you have your mind blown. Why? Because God's hand is on this church. We have paid off property. God has established the systems, the structure, the leadership for growth, and this is good ground to sow in. Now God is calling the sowers, it's not an obligation, it's an opportunity, to, to, he's calling the sowers to sow and the laborers to serve for the harvest. My closing thought to you this morning is this, don't let the fruit end with you. 
Don't let salvation end with you. Don't let the fruit in your life end with you. Don't let God's goodness end with you. Let's not just keep it to ourselves. No, let's sow. Let's put God first. Let's believe God for the impossible. Let's believe God that Victoria, Texas hasn't even seen its greatest harvest yet. And I prophesy that the harvest in Victoria will be so plentiful and the sowers will be so plentiful and the laborers will be so plentiful and the fruits are going to show up in all different shapes and sizes, talking about the souls of people, talking about real people. We're going to have grapes, apples, oranges, pineapples, mango. We're going to have all the fruits, all different shapes. Oh, man. I was thinking of it like this. They're going to come in the shape of youth that are lost, looking for a sense of purpose, that will find their purpose in Christ at a youth service. They're going to come in the shape of women, young women that have been abused, abandoned, and neglected. They're going to feel the love of their Heavenly Father when they step through the church doors. It's going to come in the shape of people that were drug addicts and alcoholics. They thought they had no hope, but they're going to find deliverance through the power of the Holy Spirit at a Sunday service. It's going to come in the shape of marriages that are broken, being hung on by a thread, but they're going to find, they're going to find hope and healing in Jesus in a small group. It's going to come in the shape of people that have been hurt by religion. They've been hurt by church. They've given up on God, but they feel the love of God during one of our outreaches. It's going to come in the shape of men who are battling and dealing and struggling with depression and suicidal thoughts. But some reason, whenever they come to church, when they talk to some of you, when you begin to sow the seeds, they're going to feel the love and they're going to find life and life more abundantly here at Riverside Church. It's going to come in the shape of your children, my children, your grandchildren, your great-grandchildren. They're going to learn to grow up in the house of God and serve the Lord and put God first. That's the harvest that God wants. Come on, anybody want to be part of that harvest? Thank you for listening to today's message. If you liked what you heard, be sure to subscribe and share it with a friend. For more information about who we are, visit RiversideChurchTX.com.